Two. You mind checking into the mic real quick? Check, check. Testing. Beautiful. Testing. All right, you are all set. You want to stick that in your pocket? Yes, sir. Thank you. Hopefully I won't mess it up. Is this yours? Yes. Is that still on? I didn't hit a button. It won't go off. Okay. Thank you. So, yes, it's so good to have you all here today. So good to see all of you and uh, good to see my wife back there. So, Heather, wasn't expecting you. Good to have you join us. And uh, so, uh, anyways, just great to be here with you all today. And it's great to have my son Weston singing a song for us. So uh, he'll do that as we, as we come to come to the to the ending of the message today. I uh, am just grateful, so grateful for your pastor because he is way more outgoing and way more free uh, in front of a group than I am. So I just uh, I appreciate that about Nathan. He's he's he just. Yes, has a lot of freedom that way, and uh, I am, I, I wouldn't say I'm painfully shy, I'm really not a shy person, but uh, I just never wanted to pastor largely because of the fear of public speaking, um, and it's just, you know, strange, because I, I grew up playing golf, I always wanted people to watch me hit a golf ball, but I didn't want people to have to listen to me speak. So um, I was reminded uh, as I was waiting to come up today and praying uh, downstairs before you all got here, uh, I was reminded of a favorite semin- uh, college professor, not even seminary, college professor. I went to Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina, and he actually did some counseling for my wife and I before we got married, and his name was Buck Hatch, and he was a wonderful, gifted teacher. I think he still has some online seminars and teaching. Some of you are shaking your head that you can listen to. And uh, he was a wonderful teacher, but he was truly painfully shy. And, uh, and he just hated to be up, and, and he would talk about it. He just really, it just, you could just tell. It, but he was such a fabulous teacher. So, so anyway, and he was Presbyterian. And I, I'm Baptist, uh, grew up Baptist. I'm not really Baptist now, but grew up Baptist and when I went to Columbia Bible College, it was a great, uh, it was a great uh, school and just a, a wonderful uh, example of how Baptists and Presbyterians really can come together well, because uh, there were a lot of Baptists and Presbyterian students and professors at that school, probably still, still that way. But anyway, we are members at Christ Community now, and, and um, but anyway, it's just great to be here. I uh, thank you for having me, and I also noticed that last night I listened to the message that I gave here last time, and I, I looked on there, and it has a time thing, you know, where it tells how long you speak. And I'm like, wow, that was the longest message. Nathan had one recording that was actually longer than mine. So I am challenged to get through this quicker, uh, not quickly, but quicker than I did last time. And uh, But uh, anyway, yes. Uh, I'll try to move us on. Plus, I know what it's like to be in the nursery there with the kids. Uh, that's where Nathan is, and I know your pastor probably feels like a fish out of water there. Maybe not. Uh, and so I'll try to, to uh, not keep him so long. Well, let us uh, pray. We're going to look at Romans, uh, actually Romans chapter 4, and uh, also a little bit of chapter 5. But uh, let, let's begin with prayer. I, I like to kneel, but you don't have to. So, Lord, we thank you so much that 
you're an awesome and faithful God. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your holy son, Jesus, who who brings us uh, together as your body. Lord, you have said we are your body, the body of Christ, and we are your people, Lord, gathered here today in your name to uh, to hear from you, Lord. I pray that you would speak to each of us where we are, whether we are already believers and trusters in your salvation, um, Father, or whether we're just seeking and maybe don't yet know you and we have questions or doubts or discouragement today, Lord. I pray that you would just speak to each one of us wherever we are, and uh, guide us by your Holy Spirit, we pray today, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, I had another introduction that I kind of took out because I, I get, well, I'll just say I was going to mention some of it, I guess, but now that I see surprised by my wife's presence today, uh, I'll, I'll mention this. Uh, my question is, are you a good friend? Am I a good friend? My wife and I have this conversation some because I think, when I think of what's a good friend, I think of my wife. Um, she's loyal, she's true, she's faithful, she's, she's just committed to her friends. And she has a good number of friends. I know she probably feels like she's not as committed as she'd like to be. But when I think of what a good friend is, I think of my wife. She's certainly been a great friend to me. I would you know, I, I don't think as husband and wife you have to be best friends, but certainly you've got to be friends and maybe best friends, you know. And so it's kind of weird maybe to say, well, yeah, my wife's my best friend, but I, 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 I would say certainly uh, we've spent almost 31 years together. And we know each other. She knows me. Yes, amen. <laughs> and um, so it's just wonderful to, to be a good friend, to have best friends, and to... to uh, to know what it is to be a good friend. The reason I mention that is because we're talking about friendship today, but not in the classic, uh, you know, kind of surfacey friendship, you know, kind of way, but hopefully what it means to really be a friend of God. Because when we look at Abraham, you know, it's kind of interesting. He was from Old Testament to New Testament, not a lot of references, but he was unique, as far as I recall, as being called a friend of God. You know, so it's uh, Jesus came and says he was the friend of sinners. That's in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 11, I think. But but Abraham's unique as being called the friend of God. Um, Abraham's a hero for us in 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 the church, but also a hero for those in uh, the Jewish tradition. So um, so Abraham's a very, very significant figure in the Bible. Uh, As a pastor, I often related more so to Moses. Uh, Moses, you know, I think was more painfully shy. The Bible says he was the meekest man on the earth. And and he just clearly, um, I mean, he led all those great hosts of people, but he definitely relished his time alone with God. And um, but, but Abraham, what a significant figure in the Bible and one that we want to look at today. Well... <clears throat> Here's a thought for you, and I'm not on Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So, I, I, you know, if you want to find me out there on social media, you can find me on LinkedIn. But what if God had a Facebook page? Do you think he would get many friend requests? Do you think his posts would get many likes? Does God really even need friends? Some might say no. 
God doesn't need friends. I mean, he's God, right? Why does he need friends? Well, but the truth is God does have friends because, again, we know about Abraham, but we also know about the friend references in the Bible. There's an intimacy also within the Holy Trinity that I think is truly transformative. It is a unique fellowship, and I would say a loving friendship. Now, if you want to parse this idea of friendship and fellowship apart, I commend to you a book uh, that I just realized was published, or I just discovered it online. There's a professor who used to teach at Gordon-Conwell, and uh, he was writing a book on friendship and fellowship and the difference between the two, and it's, it's just published last year. It's called Soulmates, and his name is Dave Horn. And he talks about Christian community and, and kind of making some distinctions there between friendship and fellowship. So I haven't read his book, so I can't tell you all those differences, but I think he does have some good perspective, and it's probably a great book. But the Bible is clear that God is love, and God has friends, friends like Abraham, who we'll look at today. I'm going to mention one scripture outside Romans right now. John 15, 15. John tells his disciples, Jesus tells his disciples in John, he says, I'm not calling you servants any longer. Servants don't know what their master is doing. But I've called you friends. And here's, here's, the, here's the point here. I've called you friends because I've let you know everything I heard from my father. Think about that. Jesus calls his disciples friends because I've let you know everything I've heard from my Father. A true friend shares his Father's truth. Think about it. I don't know if you want to think about your friends or or being a friend, but you you and I would oftentimes share stories or share ideas, and if we've had a good relationship with our mom or dad, you know, eventually life gets down to, well, my mom says, or my dad says, or I grew up believing this, or I grew up believing that, and whatever. So, so I think it's a, it's a powerful thing that Jesus says the reason he can call us friends now is because he's letting us know everything that he has from his Father. And it's not just knowledge, it's also God's love. Jesus himself, of course, being the supreme example of that, of giving his life for us. Not just giving us information or even inspiration, but actually giving his life. And at the end of the service, we'll share in communion and and focus on that a bit more. But God is the embodiment of truth and love. Jesus is the one who came to share our Father's truth and love. So when we think about Abraham as being not only a great friend of God, Abraham was a great father too, wasn't he? And I know it's not Father's Day till next weekend. We'll be away in South Carolina celebrating with my father-in-law. But, uh, but anyway, it's a, it's, it's a great passage here just to remind us of the significance of faith and fatherhood and also friendship. Our scripture is from Romans 4, and it's quite remarkable as it provides a great deal of focus on an ancient Jewish patriarch by a first century Christian author writing to a church in Rome. Let me say that again. It's 
it, it's a lot of focus on an ancient Jewish patriarch by a first century Christian author writing to a church in Rome. That's a lot of, a lot of different stuff going on there. We know well from the overall message of Romans that Paul is writing to encourage unity within the church at Rome around a deep historical divide. If you read Paul's letters, which uh, when I was in graduate school, never thinking I would pastor and speak before churches, I wanted to teach. Uh, I focused a lot on Paul's letters. And if you read all of those and you, and you, and you uh, understand them from the historical context, you'll understand, you'll see it's there right in the Bible, that Paul is doing so much, and it's in Acts also, to bring Jew and Gentile together. Paul is really trying to get both groups to understand that they are one in Christ. And it's it's this challenge. And so you and I today still are facing not this Jewish-Gentile challenge as much, certainly. I mean, it's there too, but all kinds of other differences today, don't we? We have just, I mean, it can be gender, it's just all kinds of polar opposite uh, perspectives or whatever and trying to bring those together. And, and so I think we can be helped a lot by understanding just the Jewish Gentile thing, which is a huge one, and, and applying that uh, in our minds and hearts uh, to other ways that people divide up today. Well, interestingly, Paul's passion as a Jew is for his own people. But his calling in ministry is more often to the Gentiles. Peter's call, on the other hand, was to minister to the Jews. Nevertheless, he was a crucial leader in the expansion of the church to the Gentiles as well. So in other words, Peter and Paul, like Jesus, reveal God's loving friendship to the world or for the world. Okay, Um, Jesus, Jesus, you know, made it clear he was coming as a Jew for the Jews, but he very much brought in those who were not part of traditional Judaism of the day. Well, in Romans, Paul traces the history of Jew and Gentile to show that both are guilty before God. Romans 3.23, Nathan put that up for us today. I didn't ask him to do that. Uh, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, we're all guilty. Even Abraham, that's the amazing thing, because he goes from chapter 3 to chapter 4, singling out Abraham. Yes, even Abraham. Nevertheless, Abraham believed God's promise and walked in faith as God's friend. He and Sarah become ancestral parents to the coming King Jesus, whose united kingdom is never-ending. We know that. I think Paul and Peter, really, are following a passage in Isaiah where Abe, Abraham and uh, Sarah, in a sense, replace Adam and Eve. The New Testament never mentions Adam and Eve in a positive light. They just never go back to Adam and Eve. And, and even in the Old Testament, they never go back, really, to talk positively about our first parents. They go back to Abraham and Sarah. And I can tell you this because I know we have all the uh, rightfully concern about men and women's issues today. Anytime a woman's name is mentioned in the Bible, it's significant because, again, the Bible was written at a time when it was all male authors and, you know, men were men, women were women, as they say. But 
But so when a woman's name appears in the Bible, it's significant. And Sarah's name pops up a lot. And, and oftentimes when Abraham is mentioned, Sarah is right there too. And don't you know, as you look back at that story in the Old Testament, it's interesting that Abraham's, not only was Abraham's name changed by God, Sarah's name was changed as well. So anyway, um, yeah, for those who, uh, yeah, I won't, I won't get into the theological differences, but you know, there's the, the, uh, the egalitarian approach to men and women and the complementarian approach to men and women. And, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle of that because I think, again, we just need to realize that God loves, God made us in his image, male and female. He made us in his image. And so we need to to be able to understand that. And I think Abraham and Sarah, a wonderful example. Let me read to you this passage uh, in Romans 4. Let's, let's go there. Clearly, and we're going to skip the first 12 verses of Romans 4, and we're going to go right to verse 13. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary. And the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's, For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. Nations, plural, not singular. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have when he told him to look up at the stars in the heaven. And that's from Genesis 15. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham was a hundred, Sarah was about ninety. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever God promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too. That's you and me. That's us today. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life 
to make us right with God. Do you see, we're not righteous in and of ourselves. Again, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But faith trumps all that. No politics intended there. But, you know, faith is God's gift to us to allow us, through Christ, to be made right with God. To allow us to be the friend of God. Um, it, is a, it is a wonderful gift that God gives to us. And I think um, it, it is a beautiful picture that, that Paul is painting for us in Romans because he's just in those first three chapters, he's, he said, we're all guilty, the whole world. Jew, Gentile, we're all guilty before God. And it's like, there's no hope. What do we do? There's no hope. But in Abraham, we see Abraham and Sarah. Again, Sarah's named here too. We see God intervening in the fallenness of humanity to bring about ultimate salvation, which ultimately comes in Jesus Christ. I like what... Tom Wright says about this. He says, as Romans 4 comes towards its end, we realize that Paul is saying on a large scale that the ancient Jewish dream has been fulfilled. God called Abraham to undo the sin of the human race, and this is how it happened. God is the God of new hope, of new fruitfulness, because he's the God of new starts, of fresh creation. But this hasn't happened, of course, through Abraham alone. Abraham was a signpost pointing forwards. The beginning of the long, winding road, not the goal. The goal itself has been reached in Jesus and in the events of his death and resurrection. Abraham is this pivotal figure that Paul lays out in Romans who helps us to make the connection to Christ, to understand that our salvation in Jesus Christ is secure in Him. Just like Abraham's faith, thousands, hundreds of years, probably not thousands, but hundreds, decades, you know, centuries, multiple centuries uh, earlier, you know, proved God's faithfulness to Abraham, to the promise He gave to Abraham. Now, the passage, interestingly enough, it says Abraham did not weaken or waver. But, you know, for those of you who may know the story, I mean, obviously, things didn't all go so easily to to get to that promise of a fulfillment for a a child. Uh, You know, there was the whole incident with Hagar. You know, Sarah offers her maidservant to Abraham. He has a child, and people would say, you know, that's why we have all these wars going on now, because you have these two children of Abraham, these two nations that came out. And so that's not the nations that Paul's talking about here. What Paul is talking about here is the the blessing of the nations that comes through Christ, not through the physical children that Abraham had. So Abraham, yes, had to grow stronger in faith and not weaker because he did believe that even though despite he had grown to be 100 years old, because it was like 25 years before this promise got fulfilled. It's a long time. He and Sarah had well gotten past the age of having children. And yet he believed that God was able to do what God had promised. And God did. And so 
So this child of promise becomes this example of great faithfulness. Now, I, I want to go back just too, to this idea that this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Uh, one of the commentators, Tom Wright, who I read on this, I, I think is right. He says that this believing in the God who brings the dead back to life is a Jewish understanding because many of the Jews believed in the resurrection, but they also believe very much that we die because we're sinners. And then the idea that he creates something new out of nothing is for Gentiles. And that's so true because this new relationship that the Gentiles now experience is like a whole brand new thing. I mean, they didn't have the same set of standards, traditions, and history that Abraham's descendants did. And so it's, it's the God who, who does both. He brings the dead back to life and he creates new things out of nothing. He's, he's the God of both Jew and Gentile. Because Paul in Romans 15, can you see this at the end of Romans chapter 15, if you want to turn over there, it's the first, uh, I'm going to just read from verse 4 through 9. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other. What is that complete harmony? I would say it's a loving friendship, if you will, a loving fellowship, if you prefer, as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can, enjoy, you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul says here, accept each other just as Christ accepted you both Jew and Gentile, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. It's a powerful reminder Jesus came, fulfilling the promises to Abraham to become this father of many nations, not just genetically, but by bringing God's people together with God and now with each other through Christ. You know, the world is, you know, as we think about the Internet and we think we know that the world is 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 smaller today than it's ever been because we kind of instantly can know what's happening around the world, you know. I remember the days when CNN got started and, you know, people were like, what is this? You know, worldwide news. Why do we need that? And now it's just expected that we're just going to immediately know what's happening around the world. I mean, most of the young people, they just sort of take it for granted. You know, we can remember the days when, you know, you had to watch the six o'clock news just to know what was happening in your community, you know. And um, uh, so, so, you know, communication has changed, but it's made us realize how much smaller the world is. And yet... The world in many ways seems so much more divided today than ever. And yet, it, in some ways, maybe it is, some ways it isn't. But, but we recognize that the world's a huge place. And yes, when Jesus tells us and commands us you know, to, to make disciples of all nations, all peoples, this is part of that fulfillment promise to Abraham, that Abraham believed. He believed that God would make him this father of many nations. And again, not genetically, 
but spiritually. And Paul spells that out for us in detail, not only in Romans, but also in Galatians. And, and uh, Abraham appears over and over again as this father of our faith, both Jew and Gentile. He is there for us as believers through Christ, obviously. I want to read this passage from Isaiah because I mentioned to you how significant it is that Abraham and Sarah are pointed back to and looked back to rather than Adam and Eve. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 through 6. Listen to me, all who hope for deliverance, all who seek the Lord. Consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were mined. Yes, think about Abraham, your ancestor, and Sarah, who gave birth to your nation. Abraham was the only one was only one man when I called him, but when I blessed him, he became a great nation, singular. The Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins. Her desert will blossom like Eden. That's like uh, her barren wilderness, like the garden of the Lord. Again, this hearkening back to the Garden of Eden, okay? Joy and gladness will be found there. Songs of thanksgiving will fill the air. You know, it doesn't say that in Genesis, but I'd like to think that our first parents, who were in that perfect garden before they fell, had joy and gladness and songs of thanksgiving filling the air. I mean, why wouldn't they? They were in paradise, you know? But anyway, certainly... We know that when Sarah was told about this promise to her, she laughed, you know, and I think there'll be a lot of laughter in heaven too. So listen to me, my people, hear me, Israel, for my law will be proclaimed and my justice will become a light to the nations, plural. My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations, All distant lands will look to me and wait and hope for my powerful arm. Look up to the skies above and gaze down on the earth below. For the skies will disappear like smoke and the earth will wear out like a piece of clothing. The people of the earth will die like flies, but my salvation lasts forever. My righteous rule will never end. Now God's not saying this or Isaiah's not writing this and recording God's words for us here to just scare us or make us feel like flies or ants on the floor that are just going to perish. He's saying, my salvation lasts forever. This truth that we are talking about today in Jesus Christ is an eternal relationship that we share as the body of Christ. And we know him and can be known by him. We can be friends of God. We absolutely can. And we must be friends of God. Our faith in God's power to rescue and restore this whole world is through Christ, His broken body and poured out blood, freely given for our salvation. You know what? God has more than a Facebook page. Think about it. God's face came to us in Jesus Christ. His very, the, Paul says the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. The face of God came to us. We see Jesus in God's Word through the eyes of our heart by the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus in one another through loving friendship and fellowship in the body of Christ. And we see Jesus in the broken bread and poured out wine. 
we will also see Jesus more fully in glorious bodies, not mortal bodies, but in this glorious body, in an eternal, loving friendship that lasts forever. As we think about communion, and we're going to go there in just a moment, I want to just read one, the rest of this passage. I want to read the rest of this passage in Romans, beginning in chapter 5, because I think it helps us as we think about communion and as we think about taking communion together as the body of Christ, because I know that you all practice, because we're guests here, and we're going to share communion with you today. For those of you who know Jesus Christ, you're invited to this table. Uh, for those that uh, are seeking him, you know, pray and ask uh, for God to reveal himself to you. But Paul makes it clear that this Jesus is the one we are celebrating and worshiping and serving today. In Romans chapter 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can look forward to glorious new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly loved, how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Isn't that awesome that God actually comes and dwells in us and gives us a love that we didn't have? When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us Friends of God. That's the New Living Translation. Folks, Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to be like Abraham and become friends of God and to be friends of God. It's a glorious gift that we celebrate. It's a glorious gift that we share in today. Our son Weston has written a song and he sang it at our church last week, and while he was singing that song, his beautiful worship song, and he sang it within the worship set, I thought, wow, that is an awesome communion song. And so I said, I asked Weston if he would come and share that with us today before we take communion together. So Weston, will you come?
wrote this song um, just really thinking about um, God's presence and His Spirit with us, and, and just His His friendship with us and, and love. Uh, so this song kind of came out of that uh, friendship and longing to to hear and see see God.
Thank you, Weston. And uh, again, it's uh, just a beautiful reminder of the Father. Jesus said the Father desires to give you the kingdom, you know, and he, uh, he did that through his Son. And uh, he gives us the opportunity to be reminded of his body that has been broken for us and his blood that has been poured out for us. And so uh, let us pray as we take time to consider our own hearts and lives before God so that we, again, are uh, eating and drinking out of a perspective of faith and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that indeed you are our friend and you have made it possible for not only us to come together with you, but to come together with each other. And so I just pray for any, any reconciliation among uh, family members or friends, uh, either in this church or community outside this church and work relationships, wherever they are. Father, I pray that you would be the one to bridge those differences and uh, bring your people together and bring us together, Father, with those who are outside your body so that we can share your truth and love with them. Father, help us to be a forgiving, not just a forgiven people, but a forgiving people. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus also, after he gave them the bread and representing his body, gave them also the cup. And so we invite you to take this and receive it as, as Jesus gave it, as his own representative blood for our, poured out for the forgiveness of sin.
And as a reminder, the outside circle is grape juice, the inner circles are wine. So one of the more remarkable things I think Jesus said with his disciples was that he would not drink of this cup again until he comes in his kingdom. And, and I don't recall any place after his resurrection when he spent time with his disciples that he was doing this again. So it seems that he clearly was implying that when he comes back, we will all share in this glorious celebration meal uh, together as one big holy family. So Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Now, if you all would, uh, that we already did our concluding song with Weston, so let's just stand for the benediction. This one's from Jude, and it's a, it's a beaut. To him who is able to keep